This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wilder, 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 we're back. Hi. We are. Hi. Uh, we're not even going to talk about how long it's been. We've just, our trajectories just couldn't get it together, but we're so excited because there's so much to talk about. But before we talk about anything, did you see the article in Vanity Fair about the best romantic comedies list? I did. It, it was a while ago, and I have a bone to pick with them over a few of them. Well, it's funny because, look rom-coms you know jennifer lawrence her film just launched what's the name of that again no hard feelings no hard feelings and everyone before she did it was talking about how you know this great jennifer lawrence who's done such dramatic work and you know is now doing a rom-com which and talked about it almost as if it were the poor relation you know what i mean yeah i mean i think that's that's unfortunate. Well, I think so too. I thought you were going to say yes, and it is. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, I love rom coms. Okay. Well, not only that, for women, part of going to the movies is also feeling good. You don't always have to come out with a major lesson. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But I, so I'm looking at these rom coms and I have to talk about their choice for one and two and see what you think, because it's actually a little generation before you. But number one was when Harry met Sally, which I do think translates to the to time do you it's one of my absolute favorite movies of all time me too we watch it once a year i know and you don't feel like you're watching something from way long ago do you know what i mean it does translate okay oh their chemistry the way that movie's structured i mean everything also, was firing on all cylinders great man you know she's the hardy for his laurel or she's the laurel for his hardy she's laurel for his hardy right you know, the two of them together, he's this funny, quick, quick, quick guy. And she's like, what happened? But and I, I just I loved it. OK. And then the second, though, the one they put is number two out of 50 was You've Got Mail from 1998. Wah, wah. Oh, I well, see. But you have to also look at the context of the time in which it came out, which was before your time. Oh, it wasn't. I was 14 when that movie I was came just out. I going to say, exactly. It was not on your real radar, but You've got to understand that, you know, you know, CompuServe and it had just come on and everybody was in there meeting people on the slide. I mean, it, it, when it when it arrived in 1998, it was perfect. OK, but I don't think it sits there at number two, but it doesn't hold up. Not the way when Harry Met Sally does. What do the, both those two films have in common? Meg Ryan. No. Well, that's true, too. But no. <laughs> Nora Ephron. Nora Ephron and Meg Ryan. Which is so funny because 
you know, she died too young. She definitely did. You know? And she was a great writer, but like Sleepless in Seattle, she stole that script and she bought it from the guy and she wouldn't give him any credit, which she should have. And people thought she wrote it. She did not. I mean, that woman's a killer. You know, she was a killer. And, yeah. But I'm just, I don't know, when you come to the like the best of all time, it's like Clueless is number three, Bridget Jones Diary number four. I mean, how, I don't know. I'm sorry. It happened one night, which started the genre, needs to be much higher on that list. Interesting. Some like it hot's not even on it. I know. That's exactly, you know, although right now the woke community is saying some like it hot's not okay. I, okay. Let's not judge films by today's standards, please. Thank you. Exactly. It doesn't work. <laughs> anyway, it's an interesting it's an interesting list. And Notting Hill uh, sits at number 11. And I think Notting Hill is a great lo- rom-com. I thought it was great. I, I enjoy Notting Hill. I think there's a lot of films on there that don't necessarily deserve to be. I think there's a lot. I think it's a very current list. I think there's a lot of Billy Wilder missing from that list. Well, also The Princess Bride, that's not a rom-com. What the hell are they talking about? Um, It's a, it's definitely romance. I don't know. And it's funny. So I guess it depends on what your Maybe. definition of rom-com is. Yeah, but there, there's a lot of films on there that are missing. I'm not going to post the list, but if you have, I'd love to know from our listeners, what's your favorite? If you have one that really stands out old, new, what and different, whatever. But I just wanted to sort of bring that up in deference to the fact that there hasn't been a rom-com in a really long time. Well, there, there are, they're just not, they're not happening where you are looking for them. Netflix has a whole genre filled of, but they're for younger audiences now, right, you know, also, to all of the boys I loved before, all of those kinds of films. Yeah. And, but those are not blockbuster films that have huge launches and stuff. It's just not, it's not the same. Well, the studios aren't putting that kind of effort. No, in. Yeah, exactly. Now the question I'm asking you is to make a prediction. Do you think now that Jennifer Lawrence has picked up a rom-com and she's probably bringing it back to to this moment, do you think we'll see more? I think you'll see them where you're seeing them. I think you'll see them on streaming. I don't think No Hard Feelings did the the money at the box office that people needed it to, to say, this is what people are coming back to the theater to see. Fair enough. Fair enough. Anyway, just an interesting start. And I am going to see the Lawrence movie. Are you? Uh, I don't, I'll, I'll probably wait until it's available on my television. Okay. So that leads us to it's such a good lead in because what you've chosen for our big homecoming, the crowded room. Couldn't be more opposite. <laughs> exactly. 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 But, it, you know, I when I saw the preview, I thought this could be really good, but especially because of who's in it. We'll talk about that later. But, you know, how do you even introduce this? You know, at first you think it's a it's a film noir and then you think, wait, this is really bizarre. And then I thought I've seen this somewhere before. Once you get really alongside of it, we can't talk about this film without doing spoilers. So if you haven't seen it and you want to, then fast forward and we'll put in the description what to fast forward to, because you can't you cannot talk about this film without doing that. I don't think. Do you? I mean, I think there's a way to talk around it, but I also think it's something that you're anticipating right? This is a show that you're waiting for the twist. You're waiting for the reveal. Wait, and you're still, you're waiting, waiting, waiting. Yes. Waiting, waiting. Yeah. The pacing is problematic. Worse than the pacing. It was like, it's almost like they did it on purpose. And what film does it remind you of? Do you have something? I don't have anything. 
maybe maybe uh, the usual suspects. A beautiful mind. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. It's the same story. But in a beautiful mind, they don't make you wait. They make you wait almost half the film. I, it's not quite the same story because there's a, a crime at the center of this. There's a thriller. There's that aspect of it that is driving the story well, that I think a beautiful way, based mind. Based on fact, and the person, yeah, yeah. the person who's being depicted here, in fact, in reality, did get off based on uh, on how he pled. Hmm. But I do when I a beautiful mind was so beautifully choreographed, and the script was so good, and there's so many sentences in this series that are just not worth our time. But why don't you just, can you just walk through, how would you describe what this movie's about? Well, it's a a series. It's a 10-part series on Apple. It's called The Crowded Room. And it's about a young man who is accused of a crime that he is convinced he didn't commit. And a young woman who is a uh, mental health professional who believes she's got a new diagnosis based on meeting this man. Played by Amanda Siegfried, who, by the way, did you see her as she depicted Elizabeth Holmes? Yes. Yeah, I didn't finish that series, but she was very good. Great actors that's just emerging in the where she's going to be. For the next 10 years, she's going to have some amazing roles. And here's another one. They didn't use her properly. They should have used her bigger, I think. You know, it's funny because I'm actually... Well, it's it's interesting because I, I was wondering why why it's structured the way that it is because you're in it. So Danny is our main character. Danny Sullivan is he's played by Tom Holland, who you'll all know from Spider-Man. He's very good. Wait, We will not all know him from Spider-Man. You will all know him from Spider-Man, whether or not you've seen Spider-Man, you okay. know that he is. That's where you know him from. He's great. Uh, but the disservice, I think this series does to both him, the story and us is it's just too long. But don't you think sometimes now? interestingly enough, did you know that James Cameron tried to make this John Cusack playing the role? He tried to make it 20 years ago. I'm not surprised. Here's what he said about I entered an arrangement with the partner. We had joint control of the material. The partner turned out to be someone I couldn't work with and who felt they couldn't work with me. We parted ways. The script had been written. We'd cast John Cusick to play the guy, and I was pre-production. I was ready to go shoot. I will say that I believe this person behaved unprofessionally. I also got to know Billy Mulligan, Billy Milligan, who's the actual person, and he got in the middle of this whole thing because he wanted his story told. He was running around creating more chaos, filing lawsuits. It turned into madness. We kind of got to be friends, but ultimately, Billy contributed to the downfall of the project at least in its incarnation with me. I didn't want to tell the story anymore. You know, I think that he was right, though. Cameron was right. It's a it's a movie. It is not a series. I mean, I, I think it depends on who's telling it. I really like Akiva Goldsman, who is the creator behind this. I think he's uh-huh. an incredible writer. I think it just says too many episodes. I think if episode six had been episode four, we'd be having a very different conversation. I, I agree. It just takes too long to roll it out. And it's almost like, forced upon me to wait, 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 wait. And by the time I get the answer, it's like I already lost interest in the question, you know? Well, and you already knew what was coming, right? They've set up, they've set the table a little too well by the time it's revealed what's really happening. And it's, he's fantastic, right? Watching his transformation in episode six, the camera just stay. And I I was really glad because we were supposed to record before episode six dropped. And now we're recording after. And I'm, I'm actually really glad 
that we had the opportunity to watch episode six because that's where he shines. And it's because you get to change perspectives, right? The whole first five episodes are told from Danny's perspective. And he's an incredibly unreliable narrator that you don't really learn that he's an unreliable narrator until episode two or three. You don't know that for a while. It takes a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's why, I because I was like, why are they showing all this stuff about Amanda Seyfried's like home life and her kid? And, and I was just like the contextualization of having to feel for her only because she's a mother. I was just like, okay, I just, I don't need this personally. But you had to change perspectives so that you could see Danny from somebody else's eyes. But the other thing is, you know, Tom Holland is very restrained in his Mm -hmm. style and in a good way. I think he should have been. I think he played it brilliantly, but the restraint also made it long and tedious, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It should have had more for him to do. I think that's what's coming, right? I think this is the episode that flips the script. So that, I mean, there's the moment in episode six where she goes to meet Danny for the first time. He's been detained, right? He's cuffed to the to the table and to the chair. And he's got this totally different demeanor, of course. And he tell, he's like, can you help get me out of here? He does a, a trick and kind of reveals to her that he can, he's like, I can get myself out of here. And it's it's such a great moment because... The whole time up to this point, you're wondering what's real, who's real, what's really happening, how is he seeing this, how is everybody else seeing this, and I'm I'm hoping they will go back and play some of those scenes as from other people's perspectives. By the time we got to that episode, I once went to a seven course dinner, and that, <laughs> which, by the way, I don't I don't know any I don't enjoy anybody enough to sit there for six hours at a seven. <laughs> but anyway. And we were all waiting for the sixth course, which was supposed to be this fabulous lamb. I I don't remember. It was like, I can't, I can't wait for, I mean, it's just like, wait. And then the courses leading up to that course were not, they couldn't stand on their own. It was just like a, like a, like an intro to what was going to happen in the sixth course. So by the time you ate the course, it was like, I don't care anymore. You know, who cares about lamb? Right. I just think this is it's a few episodes too long. I I like that it's a limited series because I do think they get a lot more runway and a lot more opportunity to tell different perspectives. You know, we've said that before, you know, Wilder, we have said before. So I really think that if we look at what's not working on streaming and these series that are put out is somebody really needs to understand you don't decide before it starts how many series how many episodes is going to be maybe you wait a little longer because you have to see how it unfolds and you have to say look this episode's too long we need to move this i mean in other words i just think sort of predetermining it and they want as many episodes as they can because they can amortize the cost it's always about money and i just don't think it's working for a lot of them i don't think it's just one or the other well, you've you've landed on a great segue into another topic you wanted to talk about today, which is the WGA strike, because you have to contractually decide how many episodes it's going to be ahead of time, because that's how you're paying the writers, right? That's how you're deciding the hours that people are going to work and how the division of labor is going to happen. And I've been on series where they've cut episodes in post. And it's a disaster. Okay, but here's here's the thing about that. As long as you sacrifice creative for contract elements, 
you're never going to win. Not overall. You might win occasionally, but the fact that these contracts, it's like there has to be six writers in the room or you can't, you know, they now have the, you know, and again, that's also that they'll hire enough writers. You know, I don't remember how many there have to be in the room. You probably know better than me. Well, right now there's not a minimum. Be, and that's one of the things that the guild is is asking for, that there be a set number of writers. Something's called for six and something, you know, like Sorkin, he would never he would just not, you know, it just would never work. You know, he can't talk to six people at the same time, you know. Well, I, it's interesting because I think if you go back and you look at how many writers there were on the West Wing, there were a lot of writers on the West Wing. It wasn't just Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, but not it, not for each episode. And what they want to do is well, they want to have... Well, that's not how it works, though. At one writer gets credit per episode. Right. But but, it, the, but the whole room works on the ep, ep, on the episode. Exactly. Well, they, you know, he doesn't like working with six people at once. He doesn't. That's not how his process is. So what I'm saying, though, is when you make those rules so that you can make sure that the that's the negotiation for how they can go back to the writers and say, Hey, we negotiated this. Well, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't work, but moving right along on that, on the serious part, I I think what we're saying is it could have been really good. And I don't think it's going to be. Yeah. I'm curious to see how it rounds out. This is one where I'm interested enough in really the portrayal rather than anything else. That'll keep me coming back at least for the next episode. I'm fascinated to see Tom Holland take on the breadth that is going to be, I hope, the rest of the series. I feel like I've sat next to him. I've sat next to him for the first five courses. I'm done. <laughs> it's I don't I don't think you're wrong. And I think a lot of people agree with you. I think if you read the rest of the reviews that are out there, pretty much everybody is saying the same thing. All right. But here's the thing. So we're going to move on from that. We I think we made our point. But what's interesting is you've got Tom Holland, you've got Amanda um, Seyfried, who... Again, you know, if you didn't see her in the Elizabeth um, Holmes series, you know, drop out, you should because it is a stellar. You won an Emmy for it. Yeah, well, um, I, I don't care as much about the awards, but she certainly deserved it. But here's the other thing. A lot of the other actors you haven't seen before or you haven't seen them. They're not recognizable, at least to me. Oh, they're very recognizable to me. I mean, Jason Isaacs is he is just a dream. Yeah. Uh, and the detective, actually, you would recognize him from the newsroom, uh, is actually Amanda Seyfried's husband. Yes, I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's like it's like you've got those two where you see them on the screen and, you know, I, I know exactly who you are. I like I almost it's not an ensemble cast at all, but I really like the diversity of the cast. I think it was cast well. Mm-hmm. I think Emmy does a great job as his mom. I mean, yeah. she she got a lot of crap for being too young to play it, but she's Candy's supposed to be a very young mother. Right. So I think I think the casting is really well done. I think a lot of the problem, too, is that I don't think it's well written. I don't. And maybe it's because they had to draw it out. Maybe you ha- when you have to draw it out, every sentence should either move the plot along or tell or help me learn more about a character. I mean, you don't feel that you've learned more about Danny throughout this? I do, but I think there's a lot in between that I don't need to know. You know, I don't need to hear. I agree that there's a lot you can skip over. Okay, well, that's a problem. And so it is a problem, but I don't think the writing is 
bad. I just think it's a slow burn and it's too slow a burn. Well, I think one of the, I think, again, that comes back to the problem of it's too long a series, because if they had to shorten it, I think the writing would have been much more punchy and much stronger. And I would have kept my attention. You know, you could go to the ladies room and come back and not miss anything, which you can't usually do in a series. Akiva's a stellar writer. So I'm really hoping that in the back half of this, the front half is going to pay off a little more. But you shouldn't have to rely on that when watching a series like this. So are you recommending people see it? Not necessarily. I think it depends on if this is your cup of tea. If you're interested in a psychological thriller, if you're interested in a character study, you're going to be fascinated by this. But if you want something that's fast paced and that's, you know, action heavy or moving at quite the quip, this is not for you. I agree. Okay. We're, we agree. Oh my goodness. <gasps> so rare. What's happened to us? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> so let's move along. Let's talk about this writer's strike. What say you? Well, from Detroit. So I'm a union girl. I always agree with the writers with what they're asking. I hope it doesn't last too long. I, I think they're, they're justified in a lot of their asks. I think streaming hasn't been held accountable for how they operate. A lot of streamers are still pretending like they're startups and not knowing whether or not this is going to make money when they're making money hand over fist. So I think there's a conversation to be had. Uh, I hope they can come out on the other side of it with you know nobody happy and everybody having gotten something because that's the mark of the negotiation, right? The art of negotiation, Sunday mornings um, on Clubhouse. And I am often uh, a commentator on that. But here's my problem. And that is that right now, AI, I I gave a presentation on artificial intelligence and how it's going to affect the film industry. So take, for example, Larry David. Okay, AI went in and all you have to do to AI is say, okay, here's the cast of characters and here's one episode for you to read. And now in this next episode, here's what I want to happen, write an episode. An AI wrote an episode of Larry David that was really stellar. Now, did it need editing? Yes. Is AI very early in the process? Yes. I don't think it's smart when the industry is changing so much. You know, this is like radio to TV to the internet to, you know, when your industry is going to change so much and the writer role is going to be so very different in five years than it is now and less dependent on it. I just don't think you go in and you pull this kind of crap. And then secondly, by the way, I'm a, I'm a union girl when needed. I mean, I think people should have fair market value for fair price. But I also know what some of these writers make. And I watch how hard they don't work. And so now I'm not saying that's true of everyone. But what I'm saying in addition to that is the other stupid thing about this is if you're going to do it, do it as a group of everybody beneath the sweet suite. I don't want the people owning the stock and the C-suite to make these billions of dollars and everybody else underneath it. I mean, everyone's suffering, not just the writers. Why they're not joining together all together and doing it that way is just beyond me. I don't understand it. Timing is everything. And I think it's just not a smart move right now. And the other thing is I watched them on the picket lines with their you know, they're great one-liners on these cards and they're laughing and they're standing there with Starbucks you know, Starbucks is is making a fortune because if there's a Starbucks anywhere within five blocks of the picket line, it's a joke. It's like, this is serious stuff. 
I think it is serious stuff. And I think that's what the writers are arguing. Well, but well, then they should start acting seriously on the line. I'm sorry. Well, they are willing to come back to the table. The AMPTP is not. Well, and why do you think that is? I think that's because they want to hold them down as long as possible. There's a lot of reasons. One of them is that most deals that the studios have. So the studios have deals with writers, with talent, with production companies across the board, and they pay whatever that deal is. If it's a first look deal, it's less than an exclusive deal, but they're paying for the entirety of the company, essentially. They need a writer's strike to last at least 90 days before they are allowed to force majeure those deals. And if you look just at Netflix and Amazon, they are wasting millions of dollars on deals that are not productive to them. A strike doesn't hurt them. No, not for at a all. very long time. Not at all. Right. It will. But it helps them if they if they drag it out until 90 days, they're going to be allowed to get rid of those deals that are no longer productive for them. And the writers know this. Right. They know that this is going to last probably through Labor Day. So they are entrenched. They're ready to be on the line for that many days. The Starbucks that's coming to them is very often sent to them from Jimmy Kimmel or John Oliver or the late night hosts who are supporting them because their shows do not exist without them. And I think the reason that or one of the reasons that the writers aren't doing this with the other guilds, first of all, the DGA and SAG, their their contracts are both up and they are having the same conversations, but the AMPTP is willing to negotiate with them because they know that if the directors don't show up or the the actors don't show up, they can't shoot anything. They've got a lot of stuff on the shelves that they can shoot right now without the writers. Here's the other thing. They've got a lot of inventory, Wilder. And, yeah. and the other thing is they've got a lot of stuff that's out there that they haven't promoted that people don't even really know is out there. That you know, you don't you don't go on strike when the pantry has sixty two thousand loaves of bread in the freezer, and you're going on a bread strike. Like you, you you know, it's just foolhardy. It's not the way to get what they wanted. What they should have done, in my opinion, is they should have gone to We the People, and they should have said. You need to start pressing them. You need to start as a group. You need to look at the distribution of the cash that's going into the industry and you need to redistribute it. And I just don't understand why they're spinning their wheels. They're not going to get what they want. A lot of people are suffering. And, you know, Jimmy Fallon's paying the salaries of his writers. What about everybody else? No, I think I I could be wrong and I haven't read up on this. I imagine he's paying the salaries of the people on his show. He's paying the salaries of the writers. Well, there are a lot of other funds right now to support the others that are out of work. And I don't disagree. I don't think anybody should be out of work. And I think it sucks that people have to be out of work. But I think the writers union is the only one that has the strength to hold Hollywood accountable. And they're the only ones really willing to do it. And that's been historically true. Oh, I think the actors would have been much better because... I'm sorry, you can replace a writer. You can, you cannot replace. Right, but like I'm saying, AMPTP is willing to negotiate with the actors because they know that. And they're they're giving them what they're asking for on it. They just got an extension. Then, then they should have asked the actors to go in collectively with them. Two different unions. It doesn't. So, so you know what? Tell the, it, see, that's, that's, that kind of statement, two different unions goes back to the way it's always been, not the way it should be for the future. Because with social media and everything else, it's really easy to shame people into behavior. They don't have the power to do what they're doing. Every bunch of people are going to suffer. And it's just, I, and you know, I don't know, enough said. We don't want to 
bat this to the hell and back. I think it's foolhardy. I just, and all, you know, the other thing is AI is going to take over a lot of the writing so they can't sign a con and they know it within the next three years. That's why they have to talk about it now. No, but no, but that's why they can't sign a contract that's going to, you know, hold them down to money they don't need to spend for 10 years. They don't, they're not going to do it. I, I think they're already giving those things for the actors. And so there's a precedent now for the writers to come to the table. Well, no, because an actor's harder. I, AI doesn't replace an actor, doesn't. It already no, is. It re- Voices. Well, it re- yeah, it can replace them in some ways. But you can't say to Jennifer Aniston, we're going to make you up. In other words, they have to change the actor or they have to. One of the things that's limiting, that's leveling the playing field is right now, you know, like, let's say the top 100 actors, I don't know what the number is, probably a lot more, you know, they're always considered for all these roles. But sometimes there are people who are not known who are better for the role. AI is going to be able to say they're going to be able to put into AI, here's the role, here's what the person needs to do. And give me 55 people to look at. So the job of the casting director now is to have that breadth of knowledge, which is now going to be sitting in AI, and they're going to be able to find people they can pay a lot less to who can act as well as that famous actor. So slowly but surely, in my opinion, over the next five years, some of those actors are going to go by the wayside. So they're just not going to have, you know, full reign to do it because they're not going to have to pay them to do it. But what's going to stop AI from recording that actor and then putting together the performance they're looking for rather than actually hiring that actor to do the role. If it's, they have to change the image of the actor, you know, in other words, you can't take my, that's contractual. Well, exactly. But, but, right. but what they can do is they can find other actors who can do it as well. Right. And I'm saying that they don't need to, if they have AI. Right. Which is my point, you know, AI is going to, change this industry. You know, it's interesting. Which is why we need to talk about it now. I don't, it's like, you can talk about it, but in radio, they were having these same kinds of discussions when TV showed up. It's, that ship has sailed. AI is not going away. So it's not a question of talking about it now or negotiating now so you don't lose hold. You're going to lose hold. So therefore, what you need to do is say, okay, what will my role be in the future? What's the new world going to look like? And once, look, a lot of people in radio, because all they were a voice, the person did not look at all like the voice and, and nobody wanted to see that person. So when TV came out, they lost their job. That's what happens whenever something new comes to front. You know, when computers came up, uh, a lot of the, you know, classes that people took outside of college and stuff went away. You could get it online. So my point is you have to look at what is AI going to mean and how is it going to change the industry and where do I fit in in the new world that will be AI because it's not going away. I agree that it's not going away. I think we hurt ourselves when we don't have these conversations ahead of time, just like it hurt all of the writers. They didn't, they weren't allowed to have the conversation about streaming before it happened. And now they're feeling it. So I think they've learned from that. And that's why they have to have the conversation about AI. When I hear them talking, it just makes me laugh. I, they can't do that to me. And I worked really hard to be a good writer. Uh, Oh, what? And the guy on radio didn't look, it's called life. You know, when the, you know, how many women from Bell Telephone got moved out when they started to make 411 automatic? And they didn't say, I worked really hard to be a good voice on Bell Telephone. They lost their jobs. That's what happens. Innovation takes away jobs. You got to find a new place to be and a new way to be. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Okay. A bunch of other questions for you. Ready? Sure. 
First of all, I do want to insert here that at the beginning of this, you did hear advertising, and we are so proud to be part of the Spotify family now. Spotify has taken us in. We The ads that you hear are selected by Spotify, although we can remove an ad. So if there's an ad here that you find offensive to the aesthetic that we try to present, let us know. We'll take a look at it. We'll ask them to pull it. But we are really grateful because now we can monetize screen thoughts and all the hard work that we do means that we can get some some return on investment. So please listen through your favorite place, because even though we go through Spotify, it doesn't matter if you listen to it on iTunes or whatever, we're still we're still going to get still going to get credit for the listen. So thanks to Spotify. Thanks to you for giving us the numbers that allowed us to become part of the Spotify family. Okay, we're not going to be Joe Rogan, nor do we want to be, but we hope springs eternal that maybe millions of people will start listening to us. I think that could happen, Welder. What do you think? Uh, I have no idea. I might be replaced by AI. It could be AI now. Oh, here you we go. No bitter, 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 bitter. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Now, also, what films and TV have you been watching or are coming out that you're looking forward to? I have a couple things I wanted to talk about there. I just binged real hard The Bear season two. Oh, it's amazing. I love season one, but I didn't get to season two yet. I, I think season two might be better. What? Because I was thinking season one was so good it should have ended there. Like the story was told. Are you telling me there's another story to tell? Yeah. Yeah. It's really phenomenal. Oh, I can't wait. So I'm going to move it to the top of my list then. I don't know how they did it. I don't know. I mean, this is such a beautiful nuanced story about grief that has to do with opening a restaurant right and it's fun and the characters are incredible and ebon steals the show this season it's just and there's a bottle episode that i'm not going to tell you who's in it because you're going to watch it and you're going to be like oh my god and it, there's there's so many people in this episode that you're going to recognize you're going to be like how did they get those people that's unbelievable there are oscar winners in it it's fantastic and I wasn't sure they should do it. Okay, I'm on. I'm on. All right now. So, are you watching somebody somewhere? Season two, season one. Did you watch either one? Yeah, I f- I think I finished it. Is it only seven episodes this season? Yeah, it ends at the wedding. Yeah, yeah, I did finish it. It's delightful. It's more to me. It's yes, totally delightful. But also, somebody I went to the University of Nebraska, and I know a lot of my friends' lives and what they're like out in the Midwest. I think Bridget Everett is a genius. I think she's the kind of actor like Amy Schumer, who has a special out right now, by the way, and she talks about endometriosis compared to Viagra. Like she had endometriosis when she had her child. So she was throwing up all the time, but violently. She was so, so sick. And then she's like, she starts reading about Viagra and she's like, of course, like they don't have time to take care of me throwing up 27 times a day for nine months straight. But poor guys, they really can't swallow a pill. So they had to find a way to make gummies. They've spent hundreds of millions of dollars (laughs) trying to find a way to make gummies because then, you know, the poor guys can chew and then it's not. And what what I say is they never learned to swallow. We had to, you know. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's a great line. But she can deliver that without any anger or rage. Like when I tell that story of how the hell could they possibly put all this money in researching gummy Viagra, but they can't put any money into endometriosis. It's like, how does that happen? But you, I have my mean resting face on and I'm angry and I'm hostile and I'm filled with rage. She does it in that little 
way where she just sort of looks up in the air like it confuses her, you know. And the funny thing is, Bridget Everett has that too. Every single thing shows on her face, her anger, her, yeah. her pain. Your, your heart breaks a thousand times an episode. And the other thing is she's got a very large body, which a lot of Americans do now. And her comfort level of allowing her body to show up in every scene in whatever way it arrives there, mm-hmm. I think is so helpful for people to say, okay, it is what it is. I'm not going to not show up. I think it's a, I think it's a series that should be seen by everyone. I really do. I think it's really an important, important piece of work. I think it's wonderful. I, I really enjoy it. I want her to sing more personally. I yeah, love her yeah. voice. I think she's so talented. She sings Ave Maria at the wedding in the last episode of season two. I don't think I'm giving anything away. It really, I mean, I, you know, I've, how many times have you heard that? You know, I just thought it was stunning. It's beautiful, but her, her performance at the party is is what captures my heart. Well, and her sidekick, he breaks your heart a hundred times also. He's perfect. And he's her friend in real life. Did you know that? Oh, I'm so glad to know that because they have such great chemistry. A lot of the people in it are her real friends. You shouldn't miss it if you haven't watched it. The other thing I wanted to announce is Golda with Helen Mirren is coming out on August 25th. We have tickets for two showings on August 23rd, where and we'll be selling them. It'll be all up on Screen Thoughts, both in New York and Boston, possibly LA. We're not sure yet. At the end of that performance of the film on the 23rd, Helen Mirren will be doing a Q&A. So if you're in the industry, for sure, you're going to want to come. And secondly, it's the only time they'll be doing this Q&A with, El- with Helen to it. It'll be it'll be videoed. But the other thing is this movie, along with Oppenheimer, is considered to be mm-hmm. the two hot, hot, hot films with a brain. Let's put, you know, let's put it out that way. Hey, I think you're writing something off, but I'm not going to talk about well, it. You're going to talk about Barbie, right? <laughs> I'm not going to talk about Barbie, but I think you're writing it off before you've seen okay, it. Okay, I'm going to see it and I'm looking forward to seeing it, but I'm not sure that Oppenheimer or Gold, uh, both of which are based on two um, individuals that change the course of history is the same thing as Barbie. Maybe it is. I don't know. We'll see. Barbie changed the course of history. So we're going to have that up on our website. So please, you know, it'll be up probably within the next two weeks. We have limited number of tickets. We have 30 tickets at each place. So you're not going to want to miss this. And I'm excited to announce that we're going to be doing it. And then the last thing is September 13th, the morning show starts season three, which is Weiss Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston's hit. I, you know, I felt the second season was nowhere near as good as the first. Mm-mm. I'm going to watch it because I, you know, I think Reese Witherspoon does amazing work and I want to see it. But I have a funny feeling I'll probably watch two or three episodes. And like some of the other things that I've watched, like Yellowstone, I think I'll probably stop watching it. I don't I, there shouldn't be this many seasons of it. Do you agree? Yeah, I thought the first season was really good. I thought the second season took a really long time to find its footing. I don't know that it did. Yeah, I just think Billy steals the show every scene he's in. Uh, he is amazing. That's true. And John Hamm's supposed to be in this new yes, season? Yes, he's in this season. And here's the log line. This season, the future of the network is thrown into question and loyalties are pushed to the brink 
When a tech titan takes an interest in UBA, unexpected alliances form. What are they following? Succession? Um, private truths are weaponized and everyone is forced to confront their core values both in and out of the newsroom. So could be good. You know, could be. This is my life every day. I don't know that I need to watch this. Now, the other thing I want to recommend is the Gottlieb Caro documentary, Turn Every Page. Did you hear about that? I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, um, Robert Caro wrote some very famous books, Pulitzer's Galore. And he wrote the, there's five books on Lyndon Johnson, probably the best writer of the 20, 20th and so far the 21st century in terms of biography writing. Took him 12 years to write one of those books, eight years to write another. Wow. And his his editor was Gottlieb, Bob Gottlieb, who it was 93 when they did the documentary six months ago. His daughter did it actually. And Robert Caro, it shows their relationship and it shows how they write together it was riveting and Gottlieb just died about two weeks ago before the final Caro book is done. So if you haven't watched it, it's it's on Apple, you know, turn every page. Don't miss it. it, it you, you won't you will not regret one moment of watching it. It's just riveting, riveting, riveting. I wanted to suggest that also. Anything else you wanted to bring in? I have a question for you. Yeah, go for it. Are you watching Just Like That season two? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, what's great for me is to watch these people age on screen and not totally try to hide sure. it and everything else. And the issues they're... Kinda. the issues. Well, exactly. <laughs> the, issue, the, the issues they're ad- addressing are amazing. I think it's brilliantly written. In some cases, better than the first season. I do. I mean, I don't think it would be hard to be better than the first season, personally. Oh God, it just felt like they were like, we're going to, we're going to address everything that we're uncomfortable with and we're going to be gender fluid and we're going to be open about race and we're going to be all the things that we weren't on the original series. We're just just throw it into that first season. And I was like, okay. Um, And (laughs) is it better this season? You don't, you haven't watched it at all yet. I haven't watched it because it lost me. I was just, I mean, here's the thing. I will come back for Aiden. I will always come back for Aiden, but she doesn't deserve him. She just doesn't deserve him. Uh, well, frankly, a lot of women get things they don't deserve, but <laughs> uh, you, have, you should watch it because I think it's okay. I think it's really strong. But the only other thing that bothers me is women in their 60s don't dress that way. I don't know anybody who does. If they did, it would be in bad taste. I think that it, the one thing they didn't leave behind is they didn't upgrade what their taste would become. Yeah, that's I mean, fair. should have. So instead, because fashion was such a critical role in Manola and everything else, she in her 50s, she would be over Blonix. You know, and she'd probably make a joke about it. My heels can't take a Blonix anymore. I mean, whatever it is. It's funny because I buy it for Carrie. I buy that Carrie would still be wearing Blonics. Miranda, super over it, right? Charlotte's like, I can't chase my kids in those, right? So I I agree with you that the rest of the cast should have. I feel like Carrie lives in a very specific universe all by herself and she can live in that closet and everybody wants Carrie's closet and that's wonderful. And that's the wish fulfillment of the show. But the rest of her universe should have aged It's funny you say that because she was just interviewed on Howard Stern about the show. And he said, when they approached you to do the, you know, to do it originally, did you have to audition? Were there a bunch of people up for it or, you know, and she said, no, they actually met with me and said they'd written it for me and they hoped I would take it. And I read it and I loved it. And I thought it was fresh and new and totally unusual. 
Then she said, yeah. but I did go back and say, I don't think I'm the right person for the job because I don't want to do nudity. And I think this woman would have to do nudity because there's clearly going to be a lot of nudity in it. Yeah. And the and he said to her, you don't have to do it. And any actor who doesn't want to do it, any of the actors we choose, they're not going to have to, but they can if they want to. So what is great. What is sort of intimated to me is that like Kim Cattrall and stuff, she wanted to do it. She's amazing. She's the best part of the show. Well, that's why she is. There is a cameo. Yes, we all know that there's a cameo and she had nothing to do with anybody else on the set. That's all I know. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so thank you so much. We're out of time. I can't believe I went, and we're a little over out of time, actually. But thank you so much for being here. Wilder, I had the best time. I'm so glad to be back on the set with you. Me too. Thanks, everyone. Okay. See you soon. Bye. 